So Money Episode 577, Mia Saini Duchanowski, co-founder of Oars and Alps. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. A couple months ago, I purchased a gift for my husband for Valentine's Day, and it was a little set from this company called Oars and Alps, which had some deodorant and some aftershave and some face lotion. Oars and Alps is a men's athleisure and natural grooming brand. I discovered them on Facebook because that seems to be where I learn about everything these days, for better or worse. (laughs) The brand, little did I know, was created by someone I know. And that person is our guest today on So Money, Mia Saini Dutchnowski. Her company, which she co-founded with her friend, Laura Lazowski, has been dubbed the Warby Parker of Men's Grooming. And it was created after Mia and Laura won the regional 2016 Harvard Business School New Venture Challenge. They then spent a year in research and development and voila, Oars and Alps was born. And all the while, I didn't know the brainchild behind this product was my old colleague, Mia. She and I worked at thestreet.com. We sat across from each other during the market's downfall, big downfall in 2009. She was an intern and was actually contemplating leaving Harvard Business School to pursue a career in financial news as a correspondent. I thought that was a crazy move, but that's Mia. She makes bold decisions. And she made that transition and guess what? Went on to become a very successful reporter and anchor at Forbes and then Bloomberg TV covering the global financial markets. She's pivoted since then as well, launching now into the world of entrepreneurship. And the idea for Oars and Alps, she explains, grew out of a personal necessity. Both Mia and her co-founders' husbands just needed better products to help with their sensitive skin. In our conversation, we talk about how Mia and her co-founder, Laura, took advantage of being outsiders to the skincare world. You know, neither of them had any experience in this industry, but naivete can be an asset, Mia says. Also, the marketing psychology behind getting men to care and spend money on grooming products and why Mia insists on keeping her financial accounts separate from her husband's. I mean, they've been married for a while. They have three kids, but she says, I don't want to be the beneficiary of someone else's hard work. We'll dive deeper into that. Here we go. Here's Mia Saini. Mia, welcome to So Money, old friend. It's good to uh, (laughs) reconnect with you on the podcast and congratulations. Thank you so much. I know it's been a while. You and I first got together, I guess, back in 2009. Yep. At thestreet.com where it all began for many of us. And uh, you have pivoted beautifully a couple of times since then, at least. You've went on to become a major reporter for Bloomberg and then now the co-founder of a wonderful company, which I want to share with everybody on the show called Oars and Alps. Uh, But let's catch up a little bit. I mean, it's been nine years. Uh, (laughs) You went from reporting to entrepreneurship. Let's talk a little broadly about that pivot. What kind of inspired you to do that? I think it goes back to kind of what has always been the root of why I do most things, which is I'm super curious 
and I love to solve problems. Um, I'm an engineer by training and I never settle with just a normal answer for things. I like to dig deep. I like to investigate. So that was part of what drove me to be in, you know, a financial on-air correspondent covering business news. It was right after the financial crisis. I was on the trading floor actually at Goldman Sachs at the time. And I remember thinking, wow, there are a lot of people on TV who are doing a very big disservice. They're not presenting all the facts. And there's a lot more digging that needs to be done to kind of explain to people you know, why is it that they lost um, all of their savings? Or what is this thing called a mortgage backed security? And why is it at the kind of crutch of what's happening um, in, in the economy? And I wanted to do that digging. And I think that is the same reason why I pivoted from um, being, you know, an investigative on air journalist to starting my company. Um, you do a lot of investigating. And at the end of the day, you're doing really um, problem solving. You, you, identify a problem in the market. In our case, it was um, men's skincare was an awful experience, not personalized, overwhelming. Um, And I wanted to solve that for people who just didn't like shopping um, in that traditional retail environment. Hmm. And so that kind of in a a nutshell explains why I um, made that pivot. In some ways too, not, not knowing a whole lot about your day-to-day currently, although maybe we'll get into it, you can give us a snapshot of how, you know, how busy your life is now. But as an investigative reporter, you are beholden to someone else's schedule. And now I know you are a mom of three, you're married. I'm sure that takes a lot of precedence in your daily priorities. Has the shift to entrepreneurship allowed you, afforded you a little bit more flexibility and autonomy in your schedule? (laughs) Or no, you're just beholden to your kids now. (laughs) Well, none. I actually, uh, it's I work on Ors and Alps nonstop. Um, you know, from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, um, as much as I love my kids, like my main focus is, you know, I've always been very focused on myself. I know this sounds bad. Like I love, it drives me. I'm a better mom because I'm so focused on something that's not my children. I get um, it. I get it. And I'm obsessed with creating the best company. I'm exce- obsessed with growing it as fast as I can. And um, similarly, when I was um, an on-air reporter, where I was, as you mentioned, I was. I, I had morning hours. So I was up at you know 4:30 in the morning. I did come home at two. At that point, I think I had one kid, two kids, maybe. Um, and. It had, I had a lot more flexibility in that schedule because I know no one really needed me at 3.30 in the afternoon or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, so I could do whatever I needed to do with my kids. But now it's, gosh, like I've got meetings, I've got investors, I've got customers who all need a piece of my time. And um, my kids are young and I'm, I will tell you and I will preface all of this that I wouldn't be able to do any of this if I didn't have a good team helping me. So I've got, um, you know, I've got some amazing people who kind of help me make sure that, you know, everything kind of runs smoothly. And it, of course, never runs smoothly, but at least I've got people I trust. <laughs> right. Well, let's talk about Ors and Alps in, with more specificity. I know it's a men's athleisure and natural grooming brand. You have a lot of experience, as you said, as an engineer, as a reporter, you went to MIT and you were at Harvard Business School, right? For a while, or maybe I'm... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So clearly you have the resume for starting a business, but let's be honest, Ors and Alps, a men's grooming company, a men's grooming brand, and um, you didn't bring to the table any kind of knowledge of that industry and neither did your business partner, Laura. So how are you taking 
taking advantage of maybe being an outsider. Yeah, that's great. You're right. Like, so what's clearly missing from my resume is I'm not an esthetician. Um, you know, I didn't work at L'Oreal. I have no brand or beauty background. Um, what I bring to the table is uh, a clear and new perspective, a new way to do things. And I think because I was initially naive starting, I think that was my best asset in helping me have some of those conversations. I was able to talk to people, talk to customers, talk to folk, people in focus groups, talk to some of the biggest skincare manufacturers and say, why is it done this way? Like, why don't we do it this way? Um, and because I was initially naive, it really kind of helped facilitate these kind of really um, true and raw conversations. Um, if I had been colored or tainted or had those like rose tinted glasses going into it, I think it would not have allowed me to bring a level of innovation and creativity to this industry. Interesting. And what are the, some of the crazy things you're learning about men and grooming? Because the, <laughs> really the perception is that men don't want to spend a lot on grooming. You, it's taking me years to get my husband just to use like a really good face wash. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, and as you kind of rightly pointed out, you are the one who was kind of prodding him to take better care of his skin. And mm-hmm. one of our biggest insights is, and one of the reasons we, I started Ors and Alps with my partner, Laura Lasowski, is because being on camera, I had access to some of the best skincare products. And my husband sounds like he's kind of like your husband. He's not like you know, your average Joe, but he's not like super vain and metrosexual. Um, he was borrowing all my products, my, you know, my, whether it was, (laughs) um, you know, my eye cream or my moisturizer or like, there goes my body wash. And, um, it was expensive. I had to replenish my products faster. And I realized that the scientists to me knew that men and women have different types of skin, men's skin, that's oilier, thicker, coarser, more prone to ingrown hairs and breakouts. So fundamentally they need to use products suited for their skin. Also, they don't like shopping. But the biggest thing I learned was that most women play this role of gatekeeper to their husband's skin, whether it's their facial skin or their on their body, they play a huge role in either introducing products or, um, you know, influencing them to buy a certain product. Um, you will be super surprised Farnoosh. 95% of our customers are men. That is men putting their credit card information Mm. in the trigger. When we ask them how they found out about us, they'll say things like, Oh, um, my mom told me, or my sister told me, or my, my wife told me about it, but they're very comfortable, um, going online, putting their track, their credit card information in and pulling the trigger. And guys more than ever, um, have been given the okay to groom and have been given the okay to take care of themselves in a non kind of froofy, um, metro way. Um, and that's super exciting, especially kind of like this millennial guy. Um, it's, you know, he's buying that green juice. He has a gym membership. He's working out, you know, he's going to like these influential dinners at night. He, he leads this kind of very on the go active person lifestyle. Um, and the natural extension after he takes care of his mind and his body in his health is to take care of his skin. How do you learn how to be an entrepreneur, Mia? I mean, clearly you (laughs) have some educational training. You interviewed a ton of entrepreneurs as your profession for a while, but um, what are you bringing, what do you find yourself utilizing of yourself more and more as you develop this business? And where does that, where is that sourced? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And I I can answer it by saying the fact that I asked many entrepreneurs, as you rightly pointed out, um, when I was at Forbes TV and at Bloomberg TV, about how they did things and asked those really um, kind of insightful questions and then following up. So I'm constantly asking questions to our customers, to our investors of, you know, why this? How do you use this? Why? You know, like one of the biggest insights we had was that, you know, like guys, when they take a shower, they actually face the shower, the the nozzle. Um, So products need to be right to the right or to the left of them, easy for them to put on their head and wash off. Whereas women, 
um, are taking showers um, facing away from the nozzle so that their hair can drip down their back. And as a result, most of these women are bending down to get their product rather than reaching out for their product. They have to like, they're bending down and they feel very comfortable doing that, um, which was one of the biggest insights we had. Um, so it kind of, it, it kind of um, informed how we should create our packaging. I mean, that's just one example. But I overall believe that um, you can't teach entrepreneurship um, I think there are ways to be a good entrepreneur and a bad entrepreneur, but I, I believe that it's somewhat innate, this, this idea of like risk taking. I mean, I had a great career. I was on camera. I, you know, many would say I had a very glamorous life. I definitely had a very, you know, I was very deep in and I thought I was going to do that for a long time. And there are a variety of reasons, um, for why I left, but the one big one was that I wanted to build something from scratch and I wanted, um, to have ownership over it. It had less to do with the schedule. It definitely had nothing to do with work-life balance because I have, um, probably the worst schedule I've ever had. And I used to work for an investment bank. Um, but I like the fact that I, the buck stops with me and you know, you're not going to work harder for anyone else, but yourself. Speaking of the buck, how has this venture been financially for you and your business partner so far in, in its infancy? Be honest with us too, because we see, for example, if we Google Ors and Alps, we see tons of articles, we see a beautiful website, we see, we sense that there's a lot of customers and you're definitely in the growth stage. Financially, are you happy? Um, that's a great question. I will tell you when I first started it, um, financially, I was is not, um, in the best position I have, you know, for the, the mantra I grew up with was make your own money, take care of yourself. Don't rely on guys. Don't ever, ever rely on guys. And to, to this day, um, my husband and I have not, um, merged our bank accounts, um, because I always felt like I needed to have my own financial security and my own financial freedom. And it had nothing to do with, you know, whether or not I loved him or not. And I love him a lot lot. Um, but it was just because I wanted to have my own kind of security, um, now, so to speak. And when I left Bloomberg TV, I was no longer making an income and I made a, a, a great income there. And all of a sudden I went from not being able to, you know, spend, you know, like $500 each on a DVF dress or, you know, um, buying like the best shoes out there. I, I actually had to downgrade my wardrobe to more of a startup wardrobe. But the hardest thing for me starting a business was asking my husband to transfer me money so I could pay my credit card bill. And, um, I'm not proud of that, but that is kind of what I have to do. Now my credit card bill is definitely not what it was when, um, I was making my own money. But, um, and, so, and I find myself often doing things like, oh, you know, most of it's like for Amazon for the kids. Cause I, I you know, I, as most women I control, you know, like I am, I run the household in terms of buying things to make this house move from toilet paper to, you know, men's moisturizer for my husband. But that was the hardest thing was knowing that, um, I would need a little bit, you know, infusion to kind of get the company going. And I would have to rely heavily on my husband for someone who feels very strongly that, you know, women should, um, take care of themselves. Interesting. I, you know, whatever suits couples, I also believe in having your own bank account. Maybe you also merge some accounts, but women, men should always have their own individual accounts. It allows for more autonomy. And like you said, financial freedom. Um, yeah. Did your husband, was he surprised that you wanted to have such a division of the finances? Um, did you guys ever have differences over that? <laughs> well, a lot of it goes back to, you know, I think, um, the answer is, the answer is like, he's super supportive, right? So for him, um, I think it's annoying for him to transfer me, you know, a couple thousand bucks here and there so I can pay for things for, you know, our children. Uh, but he understands that, 
he understands that, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty independent and I feel very strongly that way. Um, you know, to just give you a little bit further detail, like my 401ks and I've got them in two separate accounts. Those are completely separate from him as well. And, um, I feel very comfortable doing that. I feel very comfortable having a sense of, you know, what's in my account. It feels like it's mine. I guess my entire life, I feel like this is mine. I don't want to, um, you know, we're, we're joint, but I don't want to be the beneficiary of someone else's hard work. Like I want my hard work, Mm. um, to be the money I use when I buy things. I like that. I don't want to be the beneficiary of someone else's hard work. I might tweet that later. (laughs) Um, well now, you know, we've transitioned nicely here. Let's talk a little bit about your, so I guess that could be a good financial philosophy. I don't want to be the beneficiary of anyone else's hard work. I'm going to, I think, I, I think I, I think I came to that because, you know, my mom, um, my mom, when she came here, um, from India, you know, she very, she was a professor. She gave that up to follow my, uh, you know, my dad, her husband to the States. Um, she gave up this great job and she relied heavily on my, my, my father to, you know, for everything. Um, and sometimes that involved, you know, asking questions or, you know, asking permission. And I just never wanted that. And I, no one ever said to me like be financially independent, but I just picked up on that, <laughs> that that was important to mm-hmm. me. As we do most things from our parents, they don't ever actually articulate it, but they, through their actions, we learn 99% of, uh, of, you know, right from wrong. Let's talk about your childhood a little bit since, um, we kind of migrated to family. Tell, tell us a little bit about your biggest money memory as a young girl growing up and, and tell us where you grew up and did you have siblings and what was the, what were you surrounded by? Sure. So, um, born and raised California. I was born in LA and my family moved up um, to Northern California, an hour east of San Francisco. I come from a very small agricultural town called Tracy. Um, and I know uh, it well. My parents are in Pleasanton right now and Tracy's not too far. Oh my gosh. We're neighbors. Yes. Yeah. It's like 25 minutes away. Um, the best gift my parents ever gave us was an education. So they were pretty stingy on most everything else, except when it came to um, things that had to do with education. So I always got new books. They felt like buying a used book was um, setting me up to not kind of have like a good karma. So um, they never let me get a book that was already underlined or highlighted. Um, they always, you know, one of my, my best memories is going to Staples and I was allowed to get whatever I wanted from Staples. But, you know, if I went to to Macy's, I wasn't allowed to get whatever I wanted. Right, <laughs> but right. I could get like whatever, you know, notebooks or pens or whatever I was there always. They- so was there pressure to excel to the point where, you know, you went to MIT, your sister, you said Harvard. Did you always feel like that's where you had to end up? Oh, absolutely. And I think that is very true for a lot of, um, immigrant, you know, my parents were immigrants. So like I, I, I'm first generation, so to speak. And I think, um, they knew that that was the foundation for success, um, regardless of what I did, you know, getting into a good school was very important to them. And, you know, again, you kind of just like pick up on that as a kid, you know, I remember like being in seventh grade and telling everybody that I was going to go to Stanford. Um, and then, you know, when it came time to applying there, I was like, Nope, this is way too close to home, too close to Tracy. (laughs) Um, and you know, you asked me a question about my earliest money memory and I was just, ruminating on it. And it has had to be the fact that I realized early on, maybe when I was eight, that everyone else, that I was getting gypped, that everyone else had an allowance except me. So I remember creating this chart and I got out my ruler and like my dad's ballpoint pen um, and creating like a chart that I posted in the hallway that said all the weeks that they, you know, you know, on the horizontal side, I had the the dates and then I had um, the amount on the left hand, my sister's name and my name on the, um, 
on the Y axis, so to speak. And, um, I said, you know, these are all the times that I want to get paid my allowance. And because you haven't paid it for the past, you know, four months, I want to get back, you know, I want to get prorated these four months. (laughs) Um, and I remember them thinking, they were like, no, we're not going to give you an allowance. Like you should make the case for what you need and why you need it. And then we can decide. Um, so again, early on, I learned that you have to ask permission to get money, which is interesting. Um, and maybe that influences kind of the decision of why, you know, my bank account is very separate from but my husband. always the engineer. I mean, you're talking charts and graphs and, you know, y-axis. And <laughs> I know, cool. I'm a big dork. I can't help it. I'm not like the type of person who can like financially model and it looks like they're playing the piano. Like my husband, when he financially models, it's like, whoa, what are you building? Um, but I, I do like to document things. Um, yeah, I guess that's how I think. All right. Let's, so tell us how you maybe have thought wrong in, in one case or another as you were developing the business, um, a failure that uh, was unexpected and how you coped with it. Oh, gosh. I feel like there's so many to pick from. <laughs> um, I'd say probably one of the biggest failures that we had was that um, we didn't initially realize how powerful um, the female is in our company and that we should have gone forward with that. When I say that is initially we, you know, we were all about men, 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 men and targeting men. And what we, even though we knew, like I started the company for my husband and so did Laura, um, we were doing that and we weren't talking to enough females about kind of how they were involved in the purchase process and how they thought about what products to buy. And I mention this only because women are very, very um, price conscious. So they care a lot more about kind of what price points they want to spend, especially if they're thinking about what price points they want to spend on their husbands. Men are very new to the world of grooming. So when you give them a price of a product, like we A-B tested different pricing, um, they don't know that like, you know, like, is expensive for a deodorant or, you know, $22 is expensive for a deodorant. Um, our, our deodorant is 12 bucks. So when we tell them things, they don't know, but a woman can be like, Oh my gosh, I'm getting ripped off. Um, and we didn't pay enough attention to the, you know, that women are more value oriented. And so that's going to, because women are so influential in men's purchases. Um, so I'd say that that was an error that we quickly fixed on, which is, you know, making sure that women are now part of, part of our focus groups. Um, rather than just men. Um, And as you mentioned, they're the the biggest promoters of your product. They're the ones telling the men to enter their credit cards. Totally. But yet our focus groups were all structured around men. Yeah. You know, even though we knew that like women are very much, you know, buying the products or, you know, leading their guide to that direction, we just didn't think it was worthwhile to like get them all in a room or, you know, give them surveys and get, you know, do some ethnographic research with women. Um, but we are now changing that because, because, and it goes great with our, you know, who, why we started this, you know, two women starting a men's grooming company. Um, so I think we were overly relying on, you know, like the, the pain points that like Laura and myself had. Right. You've, the company has been dubbed, you know, the Warby Parker of men's grooming. <laughs> and so certainly you're probably taking pages out of these successful companies books, the ones that have paved the way for other startups. But in what ways is Orzen Alps writing its own rules? It's a great question. Um, I'd say one of the big things um, that has been really helpful to us is we don't view ourselves as a skincare company. I truly think we are a company that celebrates movement. Um, and we are a company like a high performance athleisure brand. Um, and it just so happens that we're doing skincare. 
And I say that for a couple of reasons. Um, the first is, you know, I don't want anyone to ever feel like they're buying a product because they've got dry skin and we're the solution to their dry skin. I want people to feel like by using our product, they can go and continue to achieve their goals and kind of continue to go down this amazing path and journey that they're already on. Um, and so we're very much selling an emotional experience, um, and not a functional one. And why that's interesting is, um, a lot of the way that men shop and a lot of the way that brands have catered to men is men have a problem and this is a solution. Um, and we kind of think that that's not the right way to think about it. That if you're looking for a solution, there are other brands that can cater to you. We're giving you something that's not, we wouldn't consider it a solution. It's something that is, um, is a partner to you as you go on this journey. So a lot of that is, um, seen in the way we write our copy, the way we send these curated emails, the way we even segment in our emails. We've got like a hundred different segmentations. So not everyone's getting the same email. Um, in fact, we've got like on any day, we've got 10 different emails going out to different kinds of customers. Um, so that's part of how we think about, you know, growing this brand in the online, um, channel. Yeah. It sounds like you're leaving the door open for a lot of growth. Do you have, employees or is it just you and uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Laura? We've, just... got, <laughs> we've got, so that's great. We have, so we're a small team. We're about four people. Um, we, um, I'm focused on kind of like the behind the scenes and the operations of the business. Laura very much was a senior, um, marketer at Facebook and she focuses on marketing. We have a head of creative who does all of our photography, social media, influencer, ambassador programs, P, um, PR. We've got, um, a former chemist who used to work at Kiehl's who helps with the product development and creating our formulations. We are quickly hiring. So if anyone wants to work at Auras and Alps, it's jobs at Auras and Alps. That is my shameless plug. Um, we're looking for exceptional people to join our team on the operational side and the marketing side. Um, and so we, we, and we've got a team of interns that have been great as nice. well. So we're quickly growing. We just raised, um, you know, we are in the process of like hopefully closing our, our seed round. And so, um, that will allow us to be a lot more flexible going forward. Interesting concept, raising money. How are you balancing the funding of the company so that you're not, you're not taking in so much from investors that you're, you know, you're beholden to their needs as opposed to what's best for the company? Oh gosh, Farnoosh, that is <laughs> in, ten, in 10 seconds. Oh my God. No, I know. And it's like, <laughs> You know, at first we didn't want to raise money from anyone. And then we realized that, you know, it probably made sense to raise money just to kind of get to the growth and scale we wanted to get at. I personally think that um, any investor who's not willing to take a call for me on a Friday night when they're out with their wife or their husband at 10 p.m. for me to give them the good news, the bad news, and the really, really, can I say the word shitty, shitty, ugly news? Yes. Um, are people <laughs> that... Um, I don't want to be part of. Um, I'm all about transparency. I'm all about openness. Taking money, again, this is someone who doesn't share their bank account with someone else, is very hard. Um, it's a very hard ask. Um, it's something I don't take lightly. I've turned down more money um, because I didn't feel like they were the right partner. Mm -hmm. For instance, for every investor out there, anyone who asked me why two women are starting a men's grooming brand, I looked at them and I thought, yep not taking your money. Yeah. And I knew, and this was like one of the first questions they would ask us. And it got, it got kind of comical. Um, how many times people, men would ask us this question. Hmm. Uh, you know, no one ever asked like, you know, like, Farnoosh, did you know that Victoria's Secret was started by a guy? 
No. What? I mean, you're yeah. lying. Well, well I can kind of I can story. kind of understand that. I mean, what guy the wouldn't want to surround artist. himself with lingerie models? <laughs> right. Well, there you go. But you know, you think like Victoria started it. I don't even know where Victoria yeah. came but like no. It's Victor's secret, actually. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. I mean That's as just... funny as I'll get today, by the way. That just happened. <laughs> That's the best joke I'll give all week. Maybe you should And treat... you teed me up. That wasn't even really my joke. It was like, like rating there it was waiting there for me to say it. <gasps> Teamwork, my friend. Yep. Teamwork. So that's a good litmus test, yeah, because if they're asking that, then um they probably haven't done any homework. Totally. And like it's so crazy that, you know, you talk to any woman and they'll tell you that like either they're trying to get their husband to use moisturizer mm-hmm. or their husband's currently using a moisturizer or like they're dragging them into the Bloomingdale's counter um, or into, you know, another, you know, store to, to buy these products. So it's it's very much I mean, we it's it's no surprise like we control. We are the gatekeepers to their face. Yes. And to the bathroom. <laughs> well, like, on you that buy note, paper? like, are you buying toilet paper? Um, like, yes, Amazon has me down for a lot of products these days, and um, toilet paper, you know, paper towels, detergent. No matter how, I think successful women become in the corporate world, in the professional world, domestically, there's still some things that just gravitate towards our domain. And it's not like I'm resentful of the fact that I have to go on Amazon and buy toilet paper. It just, it is what it is. And the sooner, if I do it, it just means it'll get done (laughs) sooner. And you're going to get like double ply, right? Yeah, exactly. My husband's getting double ply. You're getting like airport quality. Tim is not allowed to buy toilet paper actually because (laughs) of that reason. I've gotten Burn buns too many times. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. On that note, <laughs> Mia Saini Duchnowski, thank you so much for coming on the show. And after all these years, it's so lovely to reconnect and just really impressed with uh, where you've taken your life and your business. And Tim is already a fan of Oars and Alps. And um, I have a son. And when he gets a little bit older, maybe he'll we'll introduce him. He's gonna as well. he's gonna take to the oars also. That's our that's our whole phrase. Take to, the oars. take to the oars. Oh, okay. Like that. Take to the oars. Essentially, like if things aren't going your way, life's not giving you what you want. You just take to the oars and figure it out yourself. Perfect. You thought of everything. <laughs> you literally have thought of everything. Mia, thank you so much and wishing you and your partner, your business partner, continued success. Have a great one, Farnoosh. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks so much to Mia for stopping by. If you'd like to learn more about Oars and Alps, check them out at oarsandalps.com. And the company is on Twitter at Oars and Alps. Mia is on Twitter at Mia Saini, S-A-I-N-I. If you missed any of this, just hop over to somoneypodcast.com and you can download the audio, the transcript. You can also leave me a question for the Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. Just click on Ask Farnoosh at the top right corner of somoneypodcast.com and we'll get in touch. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope your day is so money.